Back in the 40s and 50s, writer William S. Burroughs helped create the Beat Generation, which was a counterculture movement that documented drug culture and inspired generations of artists. So that should tell you that Burroughs was never part of a mainstream mindset like most people in the world of rituals. The world of rituals. It's full of weirdos. Like us. We have ourselves a little, um, universe at this point. We're all a bunch of oddballs, I think, in the world of rituals. Yeah, and and for that reason, we all... Well, I feel like some of us aren't invited. Oh. Not naming names, but definitely some of the people we've covered probably I don't <laughs> want to hang out with. That's fair. Yeah, we definitely um, report on people that can stay a good arm or two away from us. <laughs> but here's the thing about William S. Bros. Then he kills his wife. Oh, okay. Wait. All right. I'm glad I didn't say he's welcome into the fold yet. I'm just, he's at arm's length. <laughs> at, the, at the moment, yes. And her killing led him on a path of spiritualism and the occult because he thought he could get rid of the spirit that he thought entered his body at the time of her murder. Okay, this is way more convoluted than I thought. I think I'm just going to have to wait it out before I determine whether he's in the cinematic universe or not. There's never been a, a, a simple storyline in the no. multi-cinematic universe of rituals. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Rituals, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm M. Schultz. And I'm Christine Schieffer. Every week, we'll explore the evolution of spiritualism and the occult through stories, practices, and the impact on modern culture. Today, we are talking about William S. Burroughs. He was a beatnik. He was a poet. He has a very, very trippy story. So let's crack into it. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. We've sort of talked about this before. What kind of outlook on life do most people have that you find in this world of spiritualism and the occult? We have covered it before. I feel like we're pretty much on the same page. We think of people who are open-minded and creative, mm. interested in discussion. Am I missing anything? I feel like... No, I, I like that summation. I feel like open-minded for sure. Maybe sometimes... I guess open-minded probably covers that, but like have some maybe off-the-wall theories mm -hmm. about the universe. Yeah. Yeah. Just open to possibilities that whatever your belief is might not be the right one, mm -hmm. if there is a right one. But I think people that are more willing to talk back and forth and ask questions, I think it just it's easier for them to fall into thinking about other worlds and the why we're here and what the point of all this is. And I think that is also a slippery slope right into spiritualism. So, right. 
<laughs> so have you actually read any books by William Burroughs before we talk about him today? Or any other beat generation writers? No, I feel like I sort of know about him, but I never really got into that whole genre. What about you? I don't even think I really knew it was a genre, which I'm a little embarrassed by now because I knew of the beat generation, but I didn't know of it as a writing genre, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Are there any other authors? Do you have a favorite author? I don't think I've ever asked you that. Oh, I mean, I would say M. Schultz, the author of Haunted oh. Road Atlas, is one of my all-time favorites. Just like a <laughs> one-and-done classic, you know? I'm flustered. New York Times bestseller. I don't know. I don't know if you knew that, but no, I'm trying to think. Favorite author? I, I really like O. Henry's short stories. I was just talking about that. I don't know. I'm I'm a pretty broad spectrum reader. <laughs> I, like, I like all sorts of genres. A broad gal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's me. A broad gal. A broad broad, if you will. <laughs> well, to throw it back to you, my favorite author has to be Christine Schieffer, New York Times bestseller. Good answer. I, good answer. <laughs> I don't know. She certainly helped me on my book. She was a mentor of sorts, if you will. So. Oh, wow. It's almost like exactly. she wrote half my book. That's how it felt. So. Wow. That's like a real ghostwriter. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, no, I have not read uh, any William Burroughs books. I do know of his books. So I know of Naked Lunch. I know there's one mm -hmm. that's about time travel. You know, Blaze just read Naked Lunch. I forgot that. I'll have to ask him what he thought because he borrowed it from the library. So I did not get a chance to read it afterwards. So I'm just going to have to actually go uh, borrow it myself if I want to peruse. I think Naked Lunch was like banned in L.A. for a while. It was banned in a few places for being so uh, oh, wow. controversial. So very excited to hear what Blaze has to say. I uh, am. Yeah, me too. So William S. Burroughs, I know we already mentioned this, but he's part of the beat generation and the beat movement. What's your initial thoughts of the beat movement? Do you know too much about it? Do you have a, like, does a picture come to mind when you think about the beat movement? Kind of like, I, I might even be wrong, but kind of like hippie-ish, mm -hmm. right? Like kind of like counterculture, youthful. <laughs> This is my word cloud that I'm creating in my own mind. I don't know if it's true. Open-minded. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, open-minded is the big cloud that covers all of it. That's kind of what my thought on it is, but I don't really know much more than that. I think of the same thing. I think of like hippie culture, counterculture, anti-war mm -hmm. movement, psychedelics, free yeah. love. Basically, if it's against the societal values the I, of the time. The mainstream. Yeah. yeah. Did you know anything about Burroughs before we get into him and I maybe say something you already know? No, I'm I'm pretty much blank slate here because oh, I I know Blaze was reading Naked Lunch. I said, how is it? He's like, I just started it. That's the extent of my understanding of this fella. Okay, perfect. <laughs> which is zero, which is to say none. I did try to look up fun facts for you about him. And the one that I think would matter the most to you is that apparently one of his last works was called The Cat Inside. And it was about all of his cats that he's had in his life. Well, looks like I need to go to the library today. <laughs> and read a book about all of his cats. I feel like he yeah. had so many other monumental things we could talk about. But I knew that fun fact was going to be the one that really sold you on him. So that's the one. I'm in. You got me. I, hey, I'm so glad. Okay, well, I guess let's get into talking about him then. So William S. Burroughs was born to a well-off family in Missouri in 1914, and his parents apparently paid him an allowance until he was 50 years old. 50? 50, 50 5-0. Forget it. I mean, that's great for him. I'm just a little, <laughs> I think I'm just a little jealous. <laughs> I think I'm better. Yeah, I'm like, okay, well, hmm, how do I get in on that? Must be nice. <laughs> if your parents gave you an allowance, would you take it? I would take it. Probably. I mean, 
listen, we're all out here trying to do our best. I don't know. That's the end of my reasoning. Oh, okay. (laughs) Sure. During his childhood, long before he was a world-renowned writer, Burroughs experienced hints of the occult, which I love that there was a little foreshadowing here. So It's like a dabble. It's a dash, a zip, if you will. Two of his caretakers, actually, were an Irish cook and a Welsh nanny, and they taught him how to curse people, which is like, what a neat trick. What a neat (laughs) trick to teach the children of the home. They're like, I'll teach you your ABCs, but now that you've mastered that. We're on to bigger and better things. I like to think ABC is they went alphabetically through curses. That would be fun. Ah, oh, to practice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And their teachings apparently stuck. Author Ted Morgan wrote that Burroughs cursed several people as a child, including a boy who rejected him, which I love that we now have some queer notions to this little undertone of sorts. Interesting. Is it rejection in the romantic way or do we just not know? I don't know about this particular story, but he is absolutely involved in the community. Oh, great. Okay, okay. That I didn't know I did if we know. were just assuming. That I didn't know. Interesting. You know, I just want to say that's the danger of teaching children powerful things like curses. I don't know if uh, they're really equipped to determine. From the person who would have happily cursed somebody who rejected her in high school. Absolutely. Wait, didn't you do that? Didn't you curse somebody? I hex people all the time. But to be fair, mine was like my own made up thing. If someone had genuinely taught me, I think it would have been a lot more dangerous. And I'm saying right now, as someone who has experienced this, <laughs> probably a dangerous road to teach children how to curse and hex people. Okay. Well, you heard it from the source, folks. Just saying. Okay. So apparently you do not stand alone. And this person has also learned to curse people that are rejecting them. So there you have it. Mm-hmm. Later on in life, tell me if anything else about his life, by the way, sounds similar to yours, just for fun. Okay, to be fair, too, I want to point out, I hex people in a, not in a positive way, that doesn't sound right, (laughs) but I hex people trying to make them like me. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, I want something bad to happen to them. I think that was never my intention. You just want something really good to happen to you. To me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Now you're getting the nuance of it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm picking it up. (laughs) Okay, good to know that so quickly you have things in common with this guy. So later on in life, Burroughs wrote this about the power of curses. Maybe it's, I don't know, a direct quote from you that he took it from. (laughs) My attitude is that nothing happens by accident. Of course, if you put a curse on someone, it may boomerang, but you take the chance. It's like the Old West. If you shoot somebody, there are going to be 10 people looking for you. You may have to do it in self-defense. It's nothing to be undertaken lightly, but in many cases, it has to be done. So he's very much like, I don't, I don't make the rules. Sometimes you just got to curse people. <laughs> uh, you know, I like that he gives a little wiggle room, but I also like that he acknowledges like it's a dangerous game. So you have to know what you're getting into. I, I do appreciate that. I do like that he took ownership of the fact that people mm-hmm. will be after you. Yeah. <laughs> At least you know what's coming. So the first piece of writing that Burroughs ever published, by the way, he was 15 years old, okay. was an article Keep that in mind when I tell you what it what the article was. It was called Personal Magnetism About Mind Control Methods. <gasps> I'm pretty sure I wrote something similar, but nobody deigned to publish it. So I'm a little offended on my own behalf. Well, I was going to say, since you've already got some things in common with him, did you happen to write any particularly interesting things for school at 15 that sound similar to this? Was <sighs> it? I'm sure I wrote all sorts of baloney, bull hockey, as my dad would say. I really... I. <laughs> 
I think I thought I was really saying something at that age. <laughs> I thought I, I thought I had things to say. You had words and you weren't afraid to use them. Exactly. Uh, beyond mm-hmm. Ben the Pen, which won an award in second grade, Ben the Pen, my, uh, my acclaimed poem about a pen named Ben, I didn't really write anything of great magnitude back then. Well, I think the people <laughs> of Rituals, especially all of Spotify in general, I think we would love a rendition of Ben the Pen the next time we see each other. Okay, it'll cost you five bucks a piece. This is a critically acclaimed poem. I'm going to charge entry for for the sake of getting all these ears. Give us the moral of the story. What happens to Ben the Pen? What's his journey? Well, he goes on quite a journey. Does he find paper at any point? You know, I don't remember. So I'm going to have to... (laughs) have to ask my mom to dig that out of the old baby box find it in there somewhere so we're paying entry for you to tell us what your mom <laughs> reminds you of okay got it i think ben the pen needs a redemption story just so we're clear maybe all these years later he needs a, a broader arc yeah a broader narrative arc this is the season of reboots i don't know why we're not bringing ben the pen yeah. back. all right we are right now right here right now okay so he'll handle one come all. William Burroughs has personal magnetism. You've got Ben the Pen. I'm glad we've covered all of our bases. Yeah, same difference. So William apparently was not a follower of any one religion. Instead, author Ted Morgan wrote that Burroughs believed in the reality of, this is a quote, the reality of spirit world, of psychic visitations, of curses or possession and phantom beings. Whoa. Which I can get on board. I can totally get on board of that. Absolutely. Totally. Later in life, Burroughs identified as Manichaean and Gnostic. Here's a quick explainer of those in case you do not know what those are, because I didn't. I mean, I totally do, but I'm glad that you're going to give me an explanation just for everybody else who totally doesn't know what that is. Let me guide everyone else and absolutely not you. Okay, great. Manichaean taught that salvation could be attained through knowledge of spiritual truths. And the truths were a set of mythologies that combined all of the known religions of the time, dealing specifically with the soul and its return to heaven. Cool. I'm into that. I think it certainly sounds interesting. Oh, yeah. Gnosticism is a religion focused on reflecting on existence, who we are as human beings, where we came from, and where we're going. So he was a meaning of life kind of person and wanting universal truth, which... I personally can respect, but I also think he must have been such an annoying 15-year-old. Like, <laughs> you know? Yes. Again, speaking as someone who constantly thought they were seeking the answers of the universe, this is Ben Ben Penn aside. I definitely went through like kind of an emo phase where I thought like, what does it all mean? You know, and I, it is a very annoying, you know, reflecting back, it can be a very annoying trait. You know, it was interesting, Gnosticism versus agnostic, which I'm assuming is the opposite of mm-hmm. Gnosticism. It's an interesting, I don't know, dichotomy there. I'm I'm intrigued. As someone who used to be an annoying teenager who always wanted to be so deep about stuff, I know mm. that I would have been great friends with this guy. But as an adult, especially as he's like making his way through college and everything and he just wants to know the meaning, I'd be like, okay, can we relax for like five seconds? Like, can we just like <laughs> just hang out and not talk We're about this? We're at a keg party. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, anyway, while he may have been a notch up there while growing up, Burroughs was also a great student. He studied literature at Harvard, and he graduated with honors in 1936. 
Okay, I like that you just said, oh, in college, I would have said, and I'm like, neither of us would have been around this person at Harvard. First of all, we have to get to Harvard to avoid him. It's not happening. <laughs> Plus, he's a lit major, which would have already thrown me off. Mm-hmm. That doesn't surprise me, though, based on the rest of his history, because it involved critical thinking and mm-hmm. kind of reading into the poetry of things. I get it. I feel like that was mm-hmm. a, a good fit for him. And after trying a few different jobs and traveling around Europe, Burroughs ended up in New York City in the early 1940s. And that's where he met Jack Kerouac and Allen Ginsberg. This group of friends were credited with starting the beat movement. Mm, okay. So they all saw the world differently and they were like, we got to do something about this. We got to write it out, folks. And the beats looked down on American society and its consumerism following World War II. The group was instead drawn to Eastern religion, sex, and drugs, and experiences that they described as more real. Interesting. Other famous writing to come from this group was Jack Kerouac's On the Road and Burroughs' Naked Lunch, which your husband has recently read. Yeah, apparently. I never read Jack Kerouac's On the Road. I feel like I should have. I feel like it's one of those things I always feel like, oh, I should know more Jack Kerouac work, but I just I just have to be honest here. I, I simply don't. I do know his name. Is that, the end of the th- is that the end of the thought? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I thought I had a moment where I remembered something more about him and then my brain went, nope, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> the file folders are just all empty. Nothing. <laughs> I Yeah, it was like one of those like tabs on my computer and you think it's something really important, but it's just like the main page. So, like you never typed anything in. <laughs> That's yeah. definitely how my brain just felt. I was like, oh, Jack Kerouac. Nope, never mind. Oh, boy. I have heard his name. I don't actually know any other works beyond On the Road, what he's done. So something to look into later tonight in the middle of the night instead of sleeping, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And despite the taboo of the time, Burroughs, as we talked earlier, was openly bisexual. Oh, great. And the beat poet Allen Ginsberg was his lover at one <gasps> point. Very hey. happy for the two of them, unless it didn't work out. But anyway, good luck to them. I hope they had a really happy time. In 1945, he met and began a long-term relationship with a woman, an influential poet named Joan Vollmer, who would alter the course of his life forever. Intriguing. Intriguing. And also, I wonder what the drama was there with Allen Ginsberg. Aren't you going to tell me? I was really rooting for him and Alan, so I want to know what happened Oh, there. I see. The drama there. I see. Because mm-hmm. I was going to say, you already told me somebody dies, so I know there's drama a-coming, but we don't know how he and Alan split and all that. Okay. No, but I would like to look into that eventually. But you are right, because more drama is coming, and it happens to be mm-hmm. with Joan Vollmer. Up next... The accidental killing of his wife apparently fills Burroughs with evil spirits and sinks him into a hole that he must write his way out of. Oh, well, now that you throw the word accidental in front of it, I feel bad for rejecting him earlier. Once again, I'm just uh, I'm on tender hooks. I'm going to I'm going to leave this open. I'm going to be open minded about it and see what see what's coming. You got to be ready for all the twists and turns of William S. Burroughs and the what was it? The universe of rituals. In a world of deep fake technology, fake news, and revisionist history, how do we know the difference between what's official and what's just fishy? That's where we come in. Hi, it's Molly and Carter from the Spotify original from Parcast, Conspiracy Theories. Every Monday and Wednesday, we examine the most controversial events in history, because maybe there's so much more to the truth than we've been led to believe. 
From the mysteries of outer space to the secrets, lies, and possible cover-ups occurring right under our noses, we explore every angle in search of the actual truth. We're not skeptics or theorists. We're curious, rigorous, and in the end, we let you decide. Catch new episodes of Conspiracy Theories each week. Follow and listen for free only on Spotify. All right, Christine. Well, we just kind of hinted at you. I think you said you were on tender hooks. But what do you think of William Burroughs so far? He seems like an interesting dude. And I will say up to this point, I'm all about it. He intimidates me a little bit. I think that whole world of sex and drugs and, you know, all that. I'm not cool and hip enough to be part of it, but I'm intrigued by him. I feel like he he's got an interesting outlook on life. Yeah. He founded a movement. I love that he was queer at a time when it was probably not the best time to be queer. Mm-hmm. Seems to have, as we said earlier, very open-minded. He's very spiritual. He's got a lot of things going on. Harvard grad. He already seems to have a bit of a has lived many lives. That's how it feels. Mm -hmm. So by the time that William Burroughs and Joan Vollmer began their relationship, this was around the mid-1940s, they were both reportedly struggling with drug and alcohol problems. And Mm. Burroughs was addicted to morphine and heroin and Joan to amphetamines. I feel like that's a danger with these kind of groups that always made me nervous is like getting into... You know, the spiritualism and all that is one thing, but then when it's sort of like they were into drugs, it's sort of Mm -hmm. like that, and to use your phrase, a slippery slope, I think, in the most direct sense, as far as it's pretty easy for many people to fall into addiction and that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm not terribly surprised that this became a struggle. I'm not either, especially with his own spiritual beliefs, getting into a world where, I mean, the beat movement was known for psychedelics, the hippie movement. So he kind of was already probably in those circles and maybe he felt the need to experiment with drugs to maybe reach some sort of transcendence or ascension. And I mean, I don't really know. I'm, it's totally conjecture over here. I think a lot of it was just being able to experience the here and now. I feel like a lot mm. of those groups, the interest in drugs and sex was just like, let's focus not on stuff trying to make us happy but experiences and what we can feel here and now and so i think yeah well he, you're right because he he said it was to make things feel more real right if that was... yeah exactly yeah. i i'm i'm sensing that that's yeah you start taking heroin i mean pretty real that's not gonna probably end well yeah yeah so the couple was struggling with that, and they eventually became married under common law and had one child named Billy Burroughs Jr., and they traveled often and ended up in Mexico City. And in September 1951, Joan and William were drunk at an afternoon party, and William pulled out a gun <gasps> and told Joan, I think it's time for our William Tell routine. Oh, no. And William Tell, by the way, is a legendary Swiss hero who was forced to shoot an apple off of his own son's head. Yeah. So you can kind of guess where this is going. Joan placed a shot glass on the top of her head and William fired at the glass, but the bullet hit an inch too low and hit Joan in the forehead and killed her. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. That is not what I was expecting. Me either. I don't know what I was expecting when I heard accidentally, but it was definitely... Dangerous from the beginning. I'll tell you what I was expecting. It was a a drug overdose. 
Oh, well, they were intoxicated. I don't know if that counts in your book, but it does seem like they were not in no, their right mind. No, he shot her in the head. Yeah, it's it <laughs> sounds like his judgment was not at all there at all. So, Mm-mm. well, so it ended up killing Joan and Burroughs was convicted of manslaughter and received a suspended sentence of two years. So that means he didn't serve any time in prison beyond the 13 days he sat in prison immediately after her death. And in more recent years, people have pointed out that Joan's killing is often treated as a footnote in Burroughs' life as a prolific and revered writer. Probably doesn't get the type of attention that it deserves or Joan doesn't get the attention she deserves. Following Joan's death, Burroughs began to write. And he claimed that the killing happened because he was possessed by an evil spirit. Hmm. Mm-hmm. This is where things get topsy-turvy for me. I'm like, okay, we were mm. – I was on board up until – this last couple of minutes of talking. Mm -hmm. Yep. So in the novel Queer, Burroughs wrote this. I am forced to the appalling conclusion that I would never become a writer but for Joan's death, the death that brought me into contact with the invader, the ugly spirit, and maneuvered me into a lifelong struggle in which I had no choice except to write my way out. So now he thinks that he's being invaded by this ugly spirit. Mm, I don't love this take, but um, okay. And keep in mind, he was suffering from a drug addiction, and I'm imagining he was not often in his right mind, especially Mm -hmm. now feeling haunted after killing his wife. So Yes, I also am not saying, wow, he should have handled her death so much better. Sure. I, I know that that's an easy thing to say looking back, but... I agree that maybe maybe this isn't the healthiest outlook on how this worked, but who am I to say, I guess? I agree with you wholeheartedly. After Joan's death, Burroughs drifted around the world while writing some of the books that he would become known for. In 1953, he published the semi-autobiographical novel Junkie about drug culture. And while living in Tangiers, he wrote his most well-known book, Naked Lunch, which was published in 1959. Around the time Naked Lunch was published, Burroughs landed in Paris at 9 Rue Gillecoeur, the address of the Beat Hotel. Mm. And the surrealist painter Brian Geisen also lived in the building, and the two struck up a friendship. Oh, that's nice. A friendship? Wink? Or a friendship? Just a friendship? I don't know. I really don't know. But I just want it to be juicier than it is. So in my mind, everything (laughs) is romantic. I don't care who he runs into. But no, it's just a friendship as far as we know. The author of the book, The Magical Universe of William S. Burroughs, Matthew Levi Stevens, wrote that the pair's life was, quote, steeped in the occult with daily experiments in mirror gazing, scrying, trance, and telepathy, all fueled by a wide variety of mind-altering drugs. Oh, boy. So I don't know about the drug part, but that was, I said earlier that I, I wanted something in their relationship to be juicy. That's pretty juicy to me. <laughs> that was good. That's yeah, fine. Yeah, I feel like uh, taking... LSD and staring into a mirror for hours has got to be quite a bonding experience for two friends. It at least has to be the most intriguing journal entry I'd ever read. It has to... For sure. To meet someone and strike up a relationship. I wonder how quickly you're able to morph it into like, oh, I just met this guy who lives in my building to we are mirror gazing and scrying together on a daily routine. Need I remind you that we started hanging out and about three hangout sessions in we decided to start a career together in podcasting <laughs> about ghosts so it's not that off the wall in my point. experience <laughs> you know what i'm glad that they had each other because again avoiding the drug part i do like to think that you and i are uh, quite the combo just like them where we probably actually also 
steep ourselves in the occult, as it says here. So, oh yeah, absolutely. So they have each other. We have each other. Our friendship could also be a oh friendship wink if you wanted it to be Christine. I'm just saying. Oh, you never know. You never know. I'm open. I'm open minded. That's the seems to be the word of the day today. Okay. Well, you talk to your girlfriend and then see what happens. But I okay, think- talk to your husband and your baby. But I am, you know, <laughs> you know. We get along very nicely, I think, together. That's true. We do know that we have the same interests in like Ouija boards and, and that kind of thing. So we're starting off strong. The dates would be just absolutely mind blowing. We would That's true. <laughs> have a great time. That's true. The pair were focused on conscious exploration, and Geisen once reported to Burroughs that he had experienced meditation induced hallucinations while riding a bus. Whoa. Apparently his eyes had been closed and sunlight flickered across his eyes, which to be fair, I feel like that's generally what happens when the sun hits your eyes. You kind of see colors and things like that. But but have you done that when you're sitting in the car and you close your eyes and the light is kind of flashing mm-hmm. and you feel like you're hallucinating almost? Yeah. And I imagine this guy, like, also taking psychedelics at the same time, was tripping <laughs> balls just sitting on the bus. <laughs> well, it said he was just experiencing meditation-induced hallucinations. Mm, I don't know. That's a good point. Maybe he was just hallucinating like any of us could in that moment but you're right if it were exaggerated i always get a little wigged out when that's happening when the sun is kind of flashing and i feel a little bit startled and i imagine that you if you kept that going for a long time you probably could get into some sort of weird meditative state um, especially if you were on drugs Mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm. yeah even if you're not on drugs it is a trippy time to have the light hitting you in the eyes Mm mm-hmm Burroughs recommended a book on flicker-induced hallucinations, which the pair focused on, to the point that they designed a device meant to induce the phenomenon, which they called the Dream Machine. (laughs) That's our couple name, by the way, in case you're wondering. The Dream Machine! (laughs) That's also our boy band name if we were to ever start one. Wow. Dream Machine. And so it it sounds seizure-inducing. In all seriousness. It does sound like it should have come with a lot of like warning labels on it. It actually, a lot of it was never, it never made it to market. But uh-huh. if it did, I feel like the warning stickers and the tags would have been all over the thing. Mm-hmm. Burroughs wrote a letter to Allen Ginsberg describing the work that he and Geisen were doing that, that led to the dream machine. And this is what he wrote to Allen Ginsberg. I've been making such incredible discoveries in the line of psychic exploration. What is happening now is that I literally turn into someone else, not a human creature, but man-like. He wears some sort of green uniform. The face is full of black, boiling fuzz and what most people would call evil. So this guy's going through it. He's okay. Yeah, I guess it's definitely a conversation starter. Does him having these drug-induced experiences discredit his work to you? No. Well, I guess, are you saying work his writings, or are you talking his work in, like, the the occult spiritual space? I think in the occult spiritual space. Is it hard to believe the things he thinks he's discovering, or do you, or even his own just beliefs in general? Is it hard to... Yeah, especially if they're mind-altering. If they're hallucinogenics, then yeah. I feel like, you know, if somebody's smoking weed or something like that maybe not as it wouldn't alter it as much in my mind but if you're taking hallucinogens and then saying oh no but that's different mm-hmm. my 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 spiritual hallucinations are a totally different thing yeah i don't know i don't know i think they're certainly talking about things nobody else is i've never heard of boiling black fuzz and all that but it's scary i would definitely take it with a grain or 10 of salt yes that's the best way to put it i like i'm not saying oh well it's all 
baloney, but it does change change it a little for me. Makes you rethink it a bit. This is a, an ignorant take because I don't know enough about the world of psychedelics to make a totally great call on it. But going into it, I would I would understand if someone feels the need to take something when they're trying to really have a deep conversation with themselves on the meaning of life, because maybe it really will mm-hmm, put a different mm-hmm. perspective on it for them that we can't just see with our, our own everyday brain. But it also could absolutely go yeah. the wrong way and derail their points and they'll see things that aren't real and then they're getting yeah. the wrong information. Skewed, yeah. sort of. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I know that there are people and I'm not really into the world of I've just never experimented with like hard drugs or anything but from what I've heard there are definitely people who take like very carefully measured out doses of things like DMT mm-hmm. and you know I know people who have done mushrooms and really have said like it opened them up to a lot of new ideas and thoughts about the world and the universe and helped them yeah. psychologically speaking help them spiritually so yeah I'm definitely that's a great point like it doesn't necessarily nix everything he's saying but i can see how it would also have like just plain old drug induced (laughs) effects on your hallucination yeah it becomes a real messy ball of wax of like i'm sure parts of it are totally based in wonderful truth and some are just not so just like a weird trip you know (laughs) coming up Burroughs continues his spiritual quest, which takes him to some unlikely places, a Navajo sweat lodge being one among many stops on that esoteric journey. Oh, okay. I'm intrigued again. (laughs) I feel like you haven't had a chance to not be intrigued yet. To not be. I was going to say, not that I haven't been this whole time, but it's just one more facet in this beautiful story you're telling. Yeah. William S. Burroughs' spiritual seeking continued after he left Paris. He spent the 1960s and 70s in London writing an esoteric column called Burroughs Academy, which ran in adult men's magazines. First of all, this guy, I keep waiting for him to have like a boring stint, but he just keeps... No, you're totally right. It's like, oh, uh, New York City, Mexico City, Paris. Anyway, I'm bored of that. Next, London... Also, here's my esoteric column in adult men's magazines. It's just one thing after another. Just so you know, the lovely researchers of ParCast, they tried to find some samples of this column, Burroughs Academy. (laughs) They were able to find the titles of a few articles, which I would like to read to you now. Pretend you're reading in an adult men's magazine. You're like, oh, I... Obviously, I'm here for the writing and the stories and the columns. Of course, no no imagery whatsoever, just the articles. Just okay. the dry text. And mm-hmm. there's no title that would capture my eye quite like these. Oh, God, get me out of this. The Voracious... <laughs> that's, a, that's a title? That's a title of one of the articles. Another one is The Voracious Aliens. <laughs> Another is The Brain Grinders. Oy vey. Okay, this is... Okay. Oh, God, get me out of this really got me. I'm like, get me out of this magazine? Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) I think that actually one, that one has the most allure to it. I know voracious aliens and brain grinders sound interesting, but you already know where you're going with that. Oh, God, get me out of this has a mystere. It's like, get me out of what? What's out of what? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm loving that he found a way to bring cryptids and spooky stuff into adult men's magazine. I feel like 
if I had to write for an adult men magazine, it would probably end up just about the same way. Yeah, I feel like uh, I'd be like protein powder. Also, something <laughs> about aliens, I guess. That's all I know. I don't really know anything else. I love that this is all under the umbrella of what he calls the Burroughs Academy column, which like the Academy, <laughs> what a curriculum, like sexy cryptids. <laughs> what, a cur- what a curriculum. You know, Mothman got a moment in the spotlight at some point. I sure hope so. I sure hope so. And so on top of that, in every place he's lived, Burroughs kept an organ accumulator. Which, have you ever heard of one of those? I haven't. What the F? No. An organ accumulator. It's a metal-lined box created by this controversial Dr. William Reich. And the box supposedly captures cosmic and sexual energy, which can then be harnessed (laughs) to cure cancer and heal wounds. Yeah, we're, yeah. And it said Einstein once sat in one of these boxes, which lets you know how big the box could be. And he disapproved of it. He was like, this is not real. So I do like that he gave it a chance. He's like, I'll take a seat (laughs) in this sex box of yours, but I don't know what I'm going to say. Like in this box, is there just a stack in the corner of like this magazine with his column in it? I don't. This is so odd. Cosmic and sexual energy chamber. That's and also it's said to cure things that are not curable. So no, no, or not it not by a box. Uh, Do you would you sit in it? I would sit in it, but I would also probably end up like Einstein. This is the only time me and Einstein have anything in common. By the way, (laughs) I would leave the box and go. I'm not too sure about that experience. (laughs) (laughs) Would you sit in the box? Uh, Absolutely, I'd be right behind you and Albert. I'd be right third in line. The three of us would get drinks afterwards and go, that was bullshit. That was weird. We got to remember this one for the memoir for sure. (laughs) So, yeah, at this point, I'm no longer on board with William's theories, just so we're clear. I am too suspicious of the lack of logic, but I have not fallen out of interest with him. I am just now thinking we live on two different planes of existence. (laughs) (laughs) And and a sad conclusion to the family that William Burroughs created with his wife, Joan, their son, Billy, died in 1981 at the age of 33 after suffering from addiction and alcohol problems. And Burroughs claimed that he felt that he had not adequately explained the ugly spirit to him. Oh, geez, this is this is dark. Yeah, that's a pretty morose twist of, uh, Mm -hmm. oh, your son's dead. And your comment is that you didn't explain the ugly spirit well enough so yeah oh, so in 1992 burroughs participated in a sweat lodge session led by a navajo shaman and the goal was to get rid of this ugly spirit that you'll remember he said entered his body after he killed his wife mm-hmm. and during this session apparently the smoke and heat of the ceremony became too much for burroughs and he asked for them to cut it short mm. i don't know if that ruin the ceremony or what but i guess we'll never truly know what happened with the ugly spirit because william burroughs died in 1997 that was five years later Mm. at age 83 but his legacy and influence on artists of every stripe still lives on and everyone from david bowie to the beatles to bob dylan named him as an influence in their music wow and burroughs even appears next to marilyn monroe and the beatles cover art for their (sighs) album sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band Wow. You want to know something weird? I had a dream about that album last night. I really, that's too freaky to me. This is so weird. I had a dream that I was seeing a psychic and she had one glass eye and she said, you have to, (laughs) (laughs) Em's already like done. And I had to 
select three vintage quote unquote songs before mm-hmm. this reading could begin. And the only one I could think of was A Day in the Life by the Beatles. And she was looking among her like albums to find it. And I said, oh, it's if you're looking for it, it's on the album Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Mm-hmm. That was the dream. So anyway. Your dreams. Every time <laughs> every time I let you tell me about a dream of yours, I hope you never do it again. Because the I really try not to. I do try not to. But when you ask, I can't help myself. Well, it's just because also in our personal lives, you've been telling me more that you're getting into lucid dreaming and some actually freaky things have been happening. So now when you talk about your <laughs> dreams, I feel like it's actually something in another existence. You, you get a little on edge, I can tell. And I do apologize. The fact that someone <laughs> with a glass eye and like a, an alternate reality very close to ours is making these demands is very odd to me. <laughs> Okay, so anyway, Burroughs has been influential on a bunch of musicians. Also, singer Patti Smith said that Burroughs was on par with the Pope. Okay, Patti. Oh, that's a okay. very large statement. Is it like what on par with what? Like on par with like... I guess in terms of like in fame. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. I guess that's fair. Maybe not quite the same level, but maybe importance to some people. Patti definitely needs to elaborate because it could be like on par in accuracy or something. I'm like, okay. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Kurt Cobain asked Burroughs to appear in a music video for the Nirvana song Heart-Shaped Box. <gasps> and he was to be seen on a crucifix, but Burroughs turned down the video appearance as he didn't want to be shown dying on camera. Very interesting. Whoa. That's, yeah. that's wow. That's a lot. And five days before he did die, Burroughs wrote this in his journal. Why, who, where, when can I say? Tears are worthless and less genuine. Tears from the soul and the guts. Tears that ache and wrench and hurt and tear. Tears for what was. Oh, no. Now I'm going to cry. If I were an English teacher, I would make people analyze that. That just hurts me. That's so deeply sad. Yeah. I Maybe he, I guess he knew his time was coming. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, not to end on a sad note, but that is the story of William S. Burroughs. What do you... What do you think of Burroughs? Why do you think he became such an influential character, I guess? Wow. I mean, he definitely is a character. I feel like a lot of the people we talk about in this ritual cinematic universe of ours (laughs) definitely deserve their rightful place as a character in history. Because, Mm -hmm. I mean, just the amount of places he lived, the amount of genres he, he dabbled in, the occult experiments he did. I mean, it sounds like he really analyzed the world with a unique eye let's put it that way like with a unique angle (laughs) he was just doing and talking about things that hadn't been heard of before so yeah definitely even though they were really wild it was i think probably really simple for him to be able to stand out in a time where counterculture was just beginning right so i think he was probably just respected or inspirational to this whole wave of hippies who were like oh we just want to look up to someone who is going against the grain yes absolutely yeah what do you think pushed burrows into his spiritual life into looking into that world you know it makes me wonder if he was always going to be kind of this way like if he just this was his uh not to say destiny but like maybe his he was taught how to curse people as a child you know Mm -hmm. and he seemed like he was uh already intrigued so it sounds like this was blossoming in him from a young age it also sounds like the death of his wife really tipped him into Mm. a new level of of this spiritual seeking of his 
I also I think he grew up in a time of war too and got into drugs pretty mm, early. So great point. I'm wondering if maybe it all started as an escape and after his wife it was very easy for him to start wondering why he was even here or what the point of all of it was. Right. So right. I don't know. Yeah, he was seeking answers at Harvard and then Yeah. I feel like that never stopped. Wow. What a poetic way to end this. Listen, this has been Christine Schieffer, author of Ben the Pen, speaking. And founder of the RCU, Ritual Cinematic Universe. Founder of the RCU. (laughs) Dabbler in multiple genres, seeker of the occult. Oh. So, yes. (laughs) And me. And Ev Schultz. And me. Just watching from the sidelines with all of you. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Information on today's episode came from the article, What Most People Would Call Evil, The Archontic Spirituality of William S. Burroughs by Tommy Cowan, The Wall Street Journal, Wisconsin Public Radio, The New York Times, The New Yorker, Bitch Media, and Open Culture. Remember to follow Rituals on Spotify to get a brand new episode every week. And you can listen to this and all other episodes of Rituals for free exclusively on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at ParCast on Facebook and Instagram and at ParCast Network on Twitter. You can find me at DM Schultz. And you can find me at Xteen Schieffer. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week. Rituals is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from ParCast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Jamie Ryan. Research by Chelsea Wood. Fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo and Jonathan Ratliff, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Christine Schiefer and M. Schultz. Hi, it's Carter and Molly from Conspiracy Theories. This February, join us for two standout specials. First, celebrate Super Bowl Sunday with a two-parter on one of the most dominant and dubious teams in history, the New England Patriots. Then, a two-part Valentine's special on the mysterious murder of Charles Walton. Journey back with us nearly 80 years as we comb through the details and rumors surrounding his death, pitchfork, witchcraft, and all. Catch new episodes of Conspiracy Theories every Monday and Wednesday. Follow and listen for free only on Spotify.